Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, uh, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing why is red bad? Nick, why is red bad? Well, yeah, so the reason that uh, we're talking about this is the other day I was uh, watching something about the original Ghostbusters film and there was a t- discussion about the appropriateness of the icon, which, as you probably remember, was a, like a classic ghost in a white sheet behind one of those, one of those prohibition circles, mm. a circle with a line through it. And, um, you know, and it occurs to me when I think about the street signs that we have in the UK... You know, we've got, um, even though we think of green as go and red as stop, maybe because of traffic lights, that the redness of those signs is, uh, is sort of feels right. And, but our, our kind of, yes, you're allowed to do this signs in the UK are blue. Um, now the question is, you know, is that, is that something universal? Is it universal but because of we've all just transmitted that idea across the world culturally or uh, you know and then secondly well if if it is universal you know is it inherent in some way are, are there some something to do with our the psychology of color which means that we naturally perceive colors to have those sorts of connotations that green is basically good that red is basically bad that's the question it's an interesting question peter uh, so i yeah so there does seem to be a sort of a the standards have coalesced into an international standard where we look at traffic lights red is bad red is like stop now and green is is go um but i think so i think i think a lot of the kind of the international dimension to the, the this standardization is probably just born out of convenience and uh, a need for a standard or a convenience of a standard that you know you don't want to find yourself in in uh in japan and and be faced with a, a a purple light and not know what to do, but um, the, the, stop. The, what would you do if you saw a purple light? I, I would stop. I, I'd stop because that's probably the safest thing yeah. to do, right? Yeah. Um, and then what if it turned to you know to cyan? <laughs> then what? <laughs> I, then I'd probably look at left and right, and see what everybody else is doing, yeah, and follow right. their copy, lead. If in doubt, copy what Japanese people are doing because yeah, they probably yeah. know. Um, the, 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 if I, doing a little bit of reading and research around this topic there's there's quite a lot of sort of um speculation about why why red is used for stop and things there's a there's a nice theory and i'm going to try and debunk it that that red um trying to rationalize it in a very scientific way that red uh red light opposed to blue light or higher frequency lights like green light uh suffers less from Rayleigh Rayleigh scattering in the atmosphere is Rayleigh no, Rayleigh scattering. <laughs> Ray, not Israeli scattering. I That's, knew they were behind. Israeli, those Israeli, dastardly Israeli. Israeli scattering is something to, else entirely. Something Iran suffers a lot from cars. Israeli scattering. But um, no, the, uh, where, so uh, a high frequency light is scattered by the particles of uh, the molecules and the dust in the atmosphere more than lower frequency light. So given two, inten- two equal intensity bulbs, one blue, one red, the red one will appear brighter, particularly at longer distances that's the idea but that's i think that's a rationalization because Rayleigh scattering was only identified as a phenomenon 
in uh, about 1871, I think, uh, and long after the the railway standardised in the UK using red as stop and white as safe, and uh, and I think they use green as proceed with caution. I mean, let's think of some other stuff. I mean, what I think what's interesting is sitting here, I can see one, two, three, four, five red lights actually. Three of them on our microphones to let us know that they're recording. One on your TV, which is standby. I don't know what colour that goes to um, when it's actually playing. And one on this speaker woofer thing. I don't know that's red. Um, anyway, I don't know what to make of that. But also thinking about lights and colours. I'll tell you what to make of it. Go on. And this is really surprising. Well, it's not really surprising if you know anything about anything. But um, red LEDs, as I understand it, are super easy to make. And uh, green LEDs are harder to make. And blue LEDs have only just really been uh, invented at anything like a cost that could make them mass produced. So cool-looking tech with, uh, you know, with blue LEDs. That's the new. That's the new LED. Uh, but that that is some something completely random to do with material science to do with yeah I think uh, it's just the chemistry yeah. the, the mm. ease of making the chemistry in the in the chip also thinking about other uses of, of so red and green uh, makes me think of port and starboard um, on on ships on boats that's true right? you know how just for listeners and there's out no there, stop go about that but sorry, do just in case any listener out there doesn't know how to tell which is which. The answer, and I don't know, a, a girl from Portsmouth taught me this. Um, there's a little red port left in the bottle. Red, port, left. Nice. Yeah. Isn't that great? Why doesn't everyone in the world know that? Even easier is port and left have the same I, number I, of letters. I have, I have a similar approach, but it's kind of, is it one of my... Green of dis- and right have the same number of letters. Yeah, it's... it's yes, well, but it doesn't mean that you know which is red or green. Yeah, or but green I, 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 well, my heuristic is that port, left... And uh, red are the shorter of the three words in those two in the, in that those three right, pairs. So sh- but you'd have yeah okay. Anyway, anyway, um, going back to the original question, is there anything in nature um, that is red and means stay away? Because it's well, all, this is, this it's, is it's all que- yellow and black. Isn't so it? this I mean, is the question, right now. I am almost always going to default to a position that um, if there is some phenomenon that humans generally agree on across the world. I will tend to assume, in the absence of any other convincing evidence, that this is some something innate, probably something that we've evolved. So something which is true of the evolutionary environment that humans, or even going further back, that perhaps you know are uh, you know mammal, or even further back ancestors evolved, um, because that that's always a good explanation for stuff. And I want it to be the case that red is bad because red's the color of blood. It seems so convincing. Um, tragically, there's absolutely no evidence for this at all. Like we can, there is, doesn't seem to be any. I mean, although certain um, certain color associations are universal, there is also plenty of evidence that they don't don't appear to be uh, universal enough to make that true. Like there are cu- plenty of cultures out there where they red means completely different things to what we mean it and and the thing is that so so it seems to be the case as peter was was saying that in the case of color which i find surprising because it's so fundamental it's such a such a completely salient feature of our experience that actually the associations we have we have with colors there doesn't seem to be much foundation for the idea that they're um you know that they're uh, innate 
which well, is well, amazing. Well, well, yes. I mean, there's, there's lots of evidence for it, but as you say, there's no sort of cultural commonality. But I mean, you, apart from blood, and I was yeah, but they, you but, could, but you might say fruit. See, I mean, let's well, take I'm, a I'm green. Thinking, if you I'm, take green, well, fruit is red. Yeah. So fruit is good, right? Fruit is seeing red yeah. against a green background yeah. and makes fruit, you think fruit, fruit often signals with red and lower hue colors that it's yeah. ready for eating. But no, I, I'm thinking like fire is an obvious example that mammals of 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 all of of all epochs have had to worry about. But it's orange. There's well, hot glowing things are red. So rocks that are hot are red. And um, lava is red. So hold on, I just feel we're slightly descending into a conversation about yeah, this is that stuff's red and that stuff's green. And I think it's blue. worth remembering. I mean, it is worth putting out here because I think it is important in our color saturated modern environment. Mm. How rare colors that aren't earth to earth tones actually are. Right, that you know, hundred, two hundred, five hundred, certainly a thousand years ago. It would you would very rarely see these colours. Well, you'd see blue. But you sometime. would you would see blue up in the sky, but you wouldn't see it on the ground. You'd hardly ever see blue things. Hmm. Seeing blue things on the ground would be really rare, and seeing red things would be maybe a once a day experience. Yeah. Um, and you know the manufacture of colour has changed all of that. Now, I don't know if we were having this conversation two thousand or five thousand years ago whether or not we would be saying the same things but whether or not the the kind of the, the if not the d the fact that colors don't seem to have any inherent association whether or not that's an artifact of the modern world i don't know again we're in the realm of speculation because one of the things that i was very surprised to find was that there isn't a great deal of research, almost no research yeah. about this. There's quite there's quite a lot of interesting um, psychology about the perception of colour, um, and uh, there's lots of you know and and sort of drawing on the the, the, the science of design. There's lots of people done work looking at work in terms of the um, the visual metaphors that are appropriate for certain things. Um, the particularly interesting study. It's been around quite a, quite a while. Uh, but the, vision, the the effect of language on colour, so assuming a certain cultural background and assuming a certain language, has an effect on your perception of colour. Um, so examples such as in Russian, there are distinct words for light blue and dark blue, whereas in English we just say they're all just shades of blue. Um, and uh, the the over the Overhibia people of Namibia and Angola, they have no word for green because they never see it. They, they well, they they agree. They they lump blue and green together. They have one word that represents blue and green, and that and with 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 robust testing, um, they've these people have been found to have different perceptions of color. So having a having a word for a thing makes you more like more able to spot the difference between. Well, I have like to say a, another I'm jump in we here. once did, but anyway, I'm go going on. to jump in and say that this is a controversial interpretation of these findings, because um, uh, the the example being if you said something like, "Look, um, printers are able to discern, you know, two hundred different types of font," so therefore. Printers have a different perception of the world. No, no, that's not. Might the, the, the well, test, no, wait, wait, wait. the test is now, you might, you might say, well, no. All it, all it shows is that they know more. They have learnt more about those things, and that those things are relevant enough for them to have constructed words that separate them. Now, it doesn't mean that with the right training, you know, a Western European couldn't be taught 
the difference between these colors that that's so it, it, now I, so although you're I, I understand what you're saying but all i'm but saying this test is, that, is this test is testing their inherent at the moment ability to distinguish shades of color so they the way that the test works is they're shown a ring of colored squares uh, eight or ten squares sometimes they're shown all the same color and sometimes there will be a color which is very obviously different and then sometimes they're shown a color which is a few shades different from the other ones and those are th th those tests are conducted with peoples from different lots of different cultures and then the results are aggregated up so so you're able to compare people's perception of whether a thing is blue or versus green where, uh, with with other people's categorization of that color so you, plus so their color plus their color sensitivity to the different shades because if they, there's always a null result where they go i can't see any difference in the color here so i'll tap the center of the screen where there is no you know to indicate there's no color difference i can see so the test it, is re is robust no there. well no but it can't you, distinguish between a circumstance where someone cannot tell the difference between two colors because because they don't have let's just say don't have the words that separate those two colors and one where they haven't been taught to see them as separate colors now i know we think that being able to see things as separate colors is uh our assumption is that that's sort of an inability you're born with you can't train someone to but it, it strikes me that it, it might not be. You know, it might be that with sufficient training in being shown lots of different apparently identical greens, um, you know, you could learn to distinguish them in much the same way that a doctor could learn to distinguish yeah, between um, a healthy but, patient. But that's and not what the test is. Te the no, test but, it, but it is. That's exactly what. That's how you described it. You just said that what they're asked to do is look for colours that are different to one another. Yeah. And 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 if they can't tell that two colours that are different are different then uh, they will report that they can't tell any difference. So what I'm saying is that people who are able to distinguish between different shades, might they might be doing that because the language they have has sort of caused them to be able to distinguish it between them. That's, that's, that's or they might be doing it because they have simply been, they're so familiar with green that they, they have learned that there are differences where they might consciously be unaware that there were differences before so so that's all it doesn't necessarily favor the you know color differences are driven by language hypothesis it might be color di color differences are driven by training in distinguishing color differences uh phew yeah i, I look, i'm completely lost i'm all i, I just want to point out that peter's interpretation of these results is not Totally universally accepted and uncontroversial. That's no, right. no, but it's but it's it's, it's evidence for. Uh, it's not. Uh, I will give you not, that. It's I not, will certainly concede that. It's not. So, it's not. Uh, it's not um, complete proof of this hypothesis. But it's a nice. It's a nice working theory. I can't remember what the hypothesis was. That your language that you use to describe shades of color. Yeah. Um, has an effect on your perception of Got color. It. Okay, so it's this old sort of language, sort of um, affecting. I don't know. Yeah, I would, I would, I would, I would possibly stuff. advance the theory that's the other way around. That, that if in a culture where distinguishing different shades was important, you would evolve a language that enabled you to do that. As I said, to go back to the printers, 
Times New, New Roman and Bookman old style might look similar to the untrained eye, but to a printer, they would go, well, that's clearly one font and that's another. Now, it doesn't mean they perceive the world differently as such. It just means that they haven't been trained. Okay. I think we can I think we can extend the conversation beyond colour. What? I think we, 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 we wanted to we we kind of originally just talked about uh discussing s- sort of signs, signals, messages. Yeah, but you're give now you're giving away to listeners the fact that we occasionally discuss these podcasts in advance. Well we do, but well, only very trade loosely, secret. You know, only very only we only set the title and the kind of general parameters for the podcast. Um it's not in any way rehearsed. Over to Nick. No, it's uh, not in any way rehearsed. Um, uh, so th- th- there's, there's a lot of really interesting kind of visual metaphors for that are kind of universal as well, as, like color, like stop meaning, uh, like red meaning stop, and or or uh, green meaning go, or green meaning, green meaning optimism and green, uh, sort of environmentalism and things. So the, uh, there's a, a shout out to Jacques Bertin, who wrote a really fascinating book called The Semiotic, Semi- Seminology of Graphics. He was a French cartographer who, who basically wrote the book, quite literally, on the visual metaphors that are used in cartography and design generally to refer to certain concepts or to invoke certain emotion or to suggest certain uh, outcomes. Um, like jagged edges being dangerous and smooth edges being more friendly and shaded different types of shading representing different things um uh, if you if you if you have if you buy one book on design get that one because it will it will it will really inform the way you th- the way you go about things but i and i think this sort of the these these visual metaphors are as strong as the color metaphors so um you have uh, nice smooth edges to in, to invite people, and you have jagged, sharp-looking edges to ward people off. Um, think about maps with with cliffs being quite jaggedy, and 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 co- nice flowing contours being friendly. And Nick's jagged clothes. Yeah, Nick's yeah, Nick's sort of glam rock appearance. My Mad remember. Max uh, jacket with all the spikes on. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a clear metaphor if ever there was one. So I think the, beyond the colour, there's quite a sort of strong international is it uh, international um uh, standard for 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 for, for visual um representation that's beyond color uh and yeah but doesn't really help us get any closer to is it innate is well, it inherent yeah. so, or is it learned? i mean the thing is that we've in typical lf style we've dived straight over the normal bit of debate it's straight into the kind of fundamentals and we haven't covered any of the superficial bits, but it might be worth touching on a few. And I and I think uh, so. The, you know, the th- just just to point out, I think that people, in case there's any listeners who think that uh, you know color preferences do have significance, simply that that might be true, but you should doubt it. So if you take you know the red red for red or pink for girls, um, blue for boys about as fundamental a distinction as in the west you know when you're going to buy toys and things it's all over the place it's very very, toys recent, very highly right? gendered and very flipped. recent as you, it was the other way around yeah. 100 years ago as is commonly known and um well actually that's, my, that's a bit of a myth okay. is it so it's a myth that it's that it was a, the other way around it's a myth that it was the other way around ah. all right it's, okay. a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fairly recent 
uh, it's the 1940s when you know when the world started getting to becoming a smaller place with international travel and everything that it kind of died uh, by uh, it split into red for girls red red pink for girls and blue for boys kind of definitively and it's like less like it's changed but before that uh, it was quite the, the 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 two opposing beliefs were prevalent all over the place um so it was it was some parts of america some parts of northern america had pink pink for boys and blue for girls uh lots of france in the 17th century 18th century the fashion for men was blue um and it was it, it, so they, they coexisted and they occasionally swapped but it was fashion driven but it's i think it's recent that it's kind of bifurcated is that the right word? split into into this definite pink for girls. Yeah, well, it might be worth reporting the simple and and not particularly significant uh, fact. It's not significant because it's very very. Uh, it's only a very minor difference. But that men tend to have a preference for what are normally called warm or hot colours. So men tend to prefer red, and uh, women tend to prefer green and blue. That that's so you know that. But that's a, a very sort of you know slight distinction between the rates of preference um and the uh you know there, there are other things include about these colors of which we speak include the fact that men uh think that women wearing red are more attractive now the interesting thing is that women judging the attractiveness of other women don't aren't vulnerable to that they won't they won't rate women wearing red as more attractive Whereas men will because that they're more jealous of their nice red dress. <laughs> Who knows? But the thing is that uh, that the uh, you know that the it, something's clearly that makes a difference. None of it, as I said, we're going. We've gone back to the superficial level here. None of this tells you about whether these things are fundamental. But what they do tell you is that they're probably not. I mean, that's the thing. That if if we can get red and blue. And, you know, switching around in different places without any apparent ill effects, it does suggest that these things are pretty, um, you know, a, a, a sort of, you know, driven by um, a, a sort of path dependent. You know, that a particular culture might generate a certain consistent set of preferences, but that it's very difficult to find something consistent and coherent and universal underneath it all. Okay. Um, we, we need to, we need to uh, finish. Um, just before we do, in theory, uh, sports teams are more successful if they're red. Yeah, I've heard that. I feel but like I that's, think it's I feel like, I feel like it's a myth. I think it's just, uh, certainly, the, certainly in the UK, they say that teams that play in red who play football are more successful. Um, but I think that's just because live two of the most successful teams in 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 British in English football happen to have won well. Red. Also, here's that's another all. story. Yeah. Um, if you're one of the first teams on the block in a sport, what colour are you going to pick? You're going to pick one of the primary colours, probably red. Yeah, but they talk about red versus blue in particular. I know. I know. There's I mean, also a th- yeah, but all I'm saying is that it might be that the older teams uh, are more likely to have bagged red first yeah. right but the and there's also another theory that red is just easier to see on the pitch so you're yeah. less likely to yeah i think england players moaned don't they? there was it didn't we have gray shirts for a while yeah there was our, a big thing our, about like, that second, well no there was the away strip was gray rather uh, than red yeah yeah and our away strip now let me get straight our away england's away strip is red 
Correct. Is that right? And it, it, has it always has been? Always has been? Uh, I don't know if it always has been, but it's often associated with the 1966 World Cup. Yeah, 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 right. But we're, why were we in the away strip for that match? Uh, well, because Germany also play in white, but I guess for something like international competitions, they, they, they toss a coin for it to see who's in Wow. So, I mean, my view of the classic England strip, is there a way strip? Yeah, and that's why there okay. was so much sort of um, uh, controversy when, when it was great. Anyway, anyway. Sounds like we could do some analysis on that. Well, what I want to say, if there's any of our neuroscience chums out there, please do the bloody research because it's not. It doesn't seem to exist. There's, there's, this is color is about one of the most fundamental units of human experience, and this simple question of you know are the ways we experience are the emotions associated with colors and the connotations of colors are they universal or not? It's so easy. Just go and find out. Very quickly, quick question, one word answer. Uh, Peter, favourite colour? Blue. Nick? Not just blue, but a particular shade of blue. Go on. On the top of a toy model, uh, of a a toy Ford Escort I had. This is significantly longer than one word, but keep going. Uh, So I had this uh, Ford Escort, toy Ford Escort in the 80s, and it had this absolutely beautiful shade of blue, blue on top. It was blue and it was effervescent, sparkly. Kind was of it dark blue, like light metallic. Blue? It was a it was a medium shade blue, and I I remember just looking at this blue, just sticking it really close to my eye so I could enjoy this blue, and that car has long since been been lost, and uh, and I feel like I'll never ever see that color again. So if we truncate, uh, so Nick's blue, uh, blue, it's blue, <laughs> medium <laughs> blue, yeah, it's blue, yeah, medium blue. Uh, actually, I've got two pink. I love pink, uh, but also I love. Duck shell, uh, eggshell blue. Yeah, I yeah, like yeah. Pastel shell. My, son, my son's, my son's favourite colour up until the age of, well, weirdly, till he went to school, right, was pink. And and uh, when he was, we were at a fairground once, and he and he wanted to go on his the thing he wanted to go on on the roundabout was this really massive pink Barbie car. It was like a a big pink Barbie car. Yeah. And he wanted to get in this And he car. wasn't and he judged loved, and he at all. Like, he lives in North London. So it's and he fun. felt like the... Um, he just felt like the boss in this in this big pink Barbie car. And would he do it now? And then and then about uh, about six months after he joined school, some other kid told him that pink was for girls and it stopped being his favourite colour. And I, I'm just, you know... And the, now, especially now, now I know that there's no evidence for this whatsoever... I'm more enraged than is, ever. Is your is your son going to grow up to be a seriously repressed homosexual now? <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know if that has got... As we know, there's got nothing to do with colour preference. Okay, let's wrap up there. Well, I will say one more thing. Go on. If there are any bees listening, none of this will make any sense to you at all. <laughs> because bees do have inherent colour preferences. Right. It's been proven. They, you, can't, you can't train a bee to like, you know green flowers they will only like flowers which are you Flower know, red colored. and yellow and stuff yeah so apologies to any bees that this has probably been a waste of your time yeah but also i mean not to make them feel bad because flipping it the other way around the reason why we're all afraid of bees apart from the fact they sting but is because they signal that they can sting by being yellow and black or, or orange and brown yeah, right? yeah yeah bees sort yourselves out okay Thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. Until next time, bye-bye.